0: When Lindsay and I first got married, I think almost 16 years ago, one of our first houses outside of this little apartment that was drafty and you could feel the wind through the walls was this townhouse we moved into in Chesapeake, Virginia. And it was so cool. We loved it. We loved it because it had cool things like air conditioning and heat and the water was reliably on. It was great. Um, The one thing we didn't love was our neighbors because one, maybe we're just really bad people. Two... We might have just had really bad neighbors. Like one time, uh, it was early in the morning. This is when we had first moved there. And I woke up to a banging on the front door. So I go to the front door, hello, and I'm greeted by this very angry elderly lady. And the very first words out of her mouth were, what kind of terrible person are you? (laughs) That's how I love to start my morning. I don't know about you. I was like, I don't know. And she, so she commenced to tell me what kind of terrible person I was. Apparently she had some really strong feelings about where you should put that green rolling trash can. Um, she said, I don't know where you're from, but around here we put the trash can in the backyard. Yeah, and then she just screamed and ran away. I was just like, this is, and that's the only time I ever saw that lady. That was the weirdest little leprechaun moment of my life. I don't know what she was so upset about. Uh, A couple of days later, we had this one neighbor. We actually shared a wall with Then It it was a townhouse, so we shared a couple walls. And the the lady next door would have these parties that would go like all night, three, four o'clock in the morning. And, you know, in those houses, like you can hear when someone's using the can opener, like through the wall. So you could hear through the walls and it was crazy. And uh, so, but one night I'd had enough. I had just had enough of hearing her music. And so it I was about 1230 at night. I walked down to her front porch. I knocked on the door and she comes to the door looking very angry and very inebriated. And she says, what are you doing here? And I was like, um, hi, I'm Chris. I live next door. And it sounds like you guys have a lot of fun over there, uh, man. But, you know, it's getting kind of late and the music's kind of loud. So I was wondering if, and before I could finish my sentence, this lady explodes on me. And no lie, these were the words out of her mouth. If you don't get out of my face, I'm going to beat you with a stick. <laughs> what do you say to that? I was like, oh, and so what I said was, well, I'm not here to fight you. <laughs> I was just hoping you would turn your music down. And she slammed the door in my face. And so these were only two. Uh, we have more crazy neighbor stories from the three years we lived there than any of the other six places that we lived combined. I don't know what it was about the area, but neighbors can be crazy, can't they? And you've probably got some crazy neighbor stories. Maybe it was the neighbor who had the dog who did their business in your yard, and you're like, look, could you please just at least scoop it up? But they didn't, and it drove you crazy. Or maybe it was like good, like it was the neighbor who, you know, they got your mail for you when you were on vacation, and they brought you cookies sometimes, and it was awesome. Lots of different neighbor scenarios. Neighbors come in all kinds, but one thing that kind of blows my mind, and this is kind of a more recent cultural thing, is that when I think about neighbors, specifically the people who live in the neighborhood that you live in, it blows my mind how many of those people we don't know at all. Like, don't even know their names. A friend of mine said this recently, and it kind of hit me pretty hard. He said that most Americans live in a house where they are surrounded by strangers, Isn't that a little bit creepy? Doesn't that make you want to go at least uh, take somebody some cookies and introduce yourself? Like, you're surrounded by people. You don't know their name. There was a time in American culture uh, when the neighbor was a big deal, but today our picket fences have been replaced by privacy fences. Our front porches with the rocking chair and the sweet tea have been replaced by back porches and patios and barbecues. We are more and more secluded to our homes, and we don't communicate with the people who live on the street that we live on. And so today... We're starting a three-week journey and conversation through this question. What does it look like to love our neighbors the way that Jesus would have us love our neighbors? And to get there, I want to look into a place in the Bible where we see this teaching come up straight from Jesus so if you've got a Bible today, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in the book of Luke. Luke is one of the four gospels, we call them, or one of the four biographies of Jesus. If you don't have a Bible today, the Scripture's going to be on the TVs here. We've also got Bibles at that table by the door over there. Please take one as you go. If you need a good Bible, there's a couple options over there. Pick one out. Take it with you. It's yours to keep. Everyone needs a good readable version of the Bible. But we'll be in Luke chapter 10. And Luke is a book that teaches us about the life of Jesus and his teachings And in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, we're going to jump into a story where Jesus is in the middle of this confrontation with a Jewish religious leader who asks him a pretty deep question, and Jesus replies with a story that I think most people have heard, a very popular story, a very famous story. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Let's go ahead and jump in. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Luke says this expert of the law shows up to test Jesus. That same word test can actually also be understood as to trap Jesus. And this is something that would happen often, particularly as he gets closer to the end of his earthly ministry. There are these uh, Jewish religious officials who didn't like the way that Jesus was talking about their way of life. And he didn't like the way his followers were acting. And Jesus was saying crazy things like we need to love people who are different than us. And so these guys would show up often, and their goal would just be kind of throw him off, ask him a hard question, see if they could corner him. And so he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus is intelligent. He knows that this guy's a teacher of the law. Uh, They probably had already met at some point. And he looks at the guy, and he's like, well, you know, you're a teacher of the law. What do you think? This is what he says in verse 26. He says, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Verse 27. He, the, the lawyer guy, the legal expert, He answered, well, I read it to say, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That's how you inherit eternal life. The guy's pretty sharp. Uh, Jesus' question wasn't exactly easy. If you know anything about Jewish religious legal code, there were hundreds of Jewish laws, and so for this guy to boil it down to just two little sentences is, is pretty sharp. But also, it shows that he's kind of been in this conversation before. It was very common to boil down the whole law into these two. Uh, the first one, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength," that comes from Deuteronomy six four through five. It was commonly known as the Shema, which is a daily prayer that Jewish people, even today, will say. Every day, if not several times a day, hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God is one. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And so very common, you would have heard that. The second half of it, love your neighbor as yourself, come from this passage in Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So Jesus agrees. These two are very good commandments. In fact, yes, they're top. Uh, combined, these, these, these two have been known as the great commandment or maybe the greatest commandment. And so uh, in modern Christianity, when we talk about the great commandment, we're talking about this combined double commandment. So in verse 28, Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this And you will live. Which I kind of read with a little bit of smirk on Jesus' face, like, are you doing this? Like, you're here trying to pin me to the wall. Are you doing this? But you should do this and you will live. But the guy wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, Oh, yeah? Well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus' reply comes in the form of a story. It has become maybe the most famous teaching that Jesus ever did. People who are not Christians, who have no background in the Bible, have heard of the concept of the good Samaritan or being a good Samaritan. In American colloquialism, we just say, if someone's a good Samaritan, what does that mean? They're a good person. They take care of people. They look out for people. And so this is the place where we first find that concept. And Jesus tells this story. It starts in verse 30. So Jesus says, in reply, he said, well, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Uh, this path from Jerusalem to Jericho was a well-known path It had a nickname. It was called the Pass of Blood. Because it was kind of a, a scary area, it was a really curvy road. Uh, there were a lot of like secluded little dark uh, patches of, of, of rocks and cliff faces and caves that people could hide in. And often like bandits would hide out there. And they would jump travelers as they, as they went. And as you would expect, uh, you know, the, the listeners of this story, knowing this area, they kind of know this is a bad part of town. It doesn't surprise them that the guy walking down the road there gets jumped and he gets beaten up and he gets left for dead. And then Jesus continues, verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Verse 32. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him, and he passed on the other side. The priest and the Levite, they... Uh, they, were, they both worked in the temple, okay? And they both had kind of the same basic job. Um, certain acts were not permitted by the priest and the Levite. One of which was, uh, in order to stay ceremonially clean to do their job, they couldn't do certain things. One of them was like to touch a dead body. So apparently this guy was in bad shape, the guy who had been beaten up. And like, man, you look close enough to dead. And they both chose to walk around the guy because uh, presumably they didn't want to defile themselves. Um, a, because possibly they were on their way to work and they had things to do at the temple so they wanted to stay clean or b i think a lot of uh, scholars kind of lean towards this they were on their way home from work and priests would often get paid in food and the food was sanctified as well and so if this guy would have come down and and defiled himself uh, while having to also transport the food he would have defiled the food and maybe his family couldn't have it. either way jesus is making a pretty clear point can you imagine walking down the road at one day, and seeing someone like in, in, in the path that you're walking on that's like laying nearly dead on the side of the road. They have been beaten up. They have been abused. They're nearly dead. Okay, And you walk by and you're like, oh, you know what, sorry bro, I can't stop. Uh, I, I gotta keep going because I gotta get to work. Like, so Jesus is obviously making a good point here. He's saying, look, obviously you don't just walk by the guy who gets hurt. Obviously what you do is you help him. But the le- Levite and the priest, they don't. Third, He introduces a hero, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. I love this. This guy pulls out like a first century first aid kit, oil, wine, done, clean it up. Probably some essential oils in there, I'm sure. And then he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn where they took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. And he said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. So, Jesus introduces this Samaritan hero. Now, if you've heard this story before, don't tune out, okay? I think a lot of us, if we've grown up in church, you've heard the Good Samaritan story, like, I know this story, I've listened to it before, I've heard sermons on it, and we give ourselves permission to zone out. Take a second to hear the, the resolution of what Jesus says here, okay? He introduces this hero, and the hero is the Samaritan. The Samaritans were a hated group of people by the Jews. The Jews were extremely racially against the Samaritans and so they did things like they called them dogs they wouldn't walk on the land that they lived on they wouldn't eat after a Samaritan they wouldn't go into their homes it reminds me of some of the racism that our country has dealt with in the last several you know, centuries and so Jesus brings up this Samaritan as the hero and the listeners are going to be like ah, what? Now, why didn't you make the priest or the Levite the hero? the Samaritans the hero? the nerve of Jesus here to suggest that a Samaritan would be the hero of the story. Not only that, but that the Levi and the priest would be like the bad guys. This teacher of the law shows up to corner Jesus, to test him, to trap him, and Jesus is about to turn the tables. I love this guy. He says this, and I imagine he looks right at the teacher in the eyes and says, okay, listen, you asked me what must I do to inherit life. I gave you an answer. You asked me, well, who's in my neighbor, Jesus? And I said, There's a story, and at the end of the story, he said, so which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Well, we don't get to see the guy's face. The answer seems obvious, and my guess is he doesn't make direct eye contact with Jesus. He might even kind of smirk a little bit because he's like, I see what you did there, Jesus. And he answers, the one who had mercy on him. I love that he doesn't say the Samaritan. He's like the one, you know. You know which one, Jesus, obviously the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, well, go and do likewise. Before we get out of the Samaritan story here, I love that Jesus twice has now told this guy to actually go and do it. The first time he's like, well, do this and you will live. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, who's my neighbor? Okay, I'll show you who your neighbor is. Now, go and do likewise. Who is my neighbor and what does it mean to love them? Did you notice, I, I didn't notice it until I was preparing for this message, that in this story, um, when I think of my neighbor, I think of like Tommy. He's the dude who lives next door to me. Tommy and Denise, they're next door, and like we talk across the, the hedges, and like he's my, he's my neighbor, my real life neighbor. When I think about na- my neighbor, and I ask the question, who is my neighbor? I want to know the question is like, who are the people I should love? What's interesting is Jesus doesn't actually answer that question. Instead, he shows them what it means to be A neighbor. It's not about picking out who you love. It's about how you treat people no matter what's going on in their life. Sometimes in life we need to have our eyes opened so that we can look around us. And Jesus uses this story to accomplish several things. A couple things he accomplishes in this story. Number one, For one, I think it was a lesson in the ridiculousness of racism. Like, we could talk on and on about that. But I think that's an obvious thing we could talk about from that story. Number two, it was a bold reply to a guy who was kind of being a jerk, like showed up just to trap him. He's like, all right, okay, let's just talk. Number three, it taught us something about how God values people over ceremony. And so you got, you know, these Levite and the priests who are worried about being ceremonially clean. He's like, look, at some point, something's got to trump something else, and it's not the ceremony. It's loving people. And maybe the people hearing the message, maybe they heard other things. A lot of great lessons came from this story. In fact, I believe that's probably why it has become one of the most well-known stories Jesus ever taught with. But today what I want to do is I want to zoom in on the lesson that we learn about what it means to love our neighbor. And so what we're going to do is over the next three weeks, today and two more weeks, we're going to unpack what I think are three Big lessons that we can learn as we begin to engage the people around us, both the people who live on the same street as we do, whose address number is like just one or two numbers different than ours, or people that we encounter in our day-to-day life. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about the first factor, and we're just going to call it the obedience factor, the obedience factor. There was a group of about 20 pastors uh, back in, I think, 2004. And they lived in Denver, Colorado, and they met with a bunch of city officials, including the mayor and a bunch of other higher ups in Denver. And they sat around this table because, as church leaders and community leaders, they wanted to come to the government people and say, "What can we do to help reduce some of the things in our city that are that are bad?" And so, crime and poverty and homelessness and things with education and hunger. Um, and so, they do what we tend to do, which is what. Form a committee. Let's form a committee. That's how we're going to solve the problems. We got this committee meeting with that committee. Surely nothing could go wrong. So they meet and they begin talking and they bounce ideas back and forth. And it's a pretty positive meeting. But at one point in the meeting, the mayor of Denver speaks up and he says this, you know, the majority of the issues that our community faces right now could be eliminated or at least drastically reduced. If we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors, he said, it seems like every time there's a problem, people queue up outside the government offices and ask what they're going to do about it. Or they ask, and criticize the programming that's going on in the, the schools or different organizations. But what if we could actually learn to be good people? What if we could learn to be good neighbors? Jay Pathak was one of the guys among that group that day, one of the pastors. And so they talked. The mayor leaves the room and Jay is left there with his other buddies, and he says, am I the only one who's a little bit embarrassed? I mean, here we are asking the mayor how we can serve our city, and he basically just turned right around and said, you know, it would be great if you could just get your people to obey the second half of the great commandment. The mayor basically comes in and says, you know what, if, if we could just obey Jesus, don't you think that would fix some things? I don't think that's what the mayor was thinking at all, but there's this group of pastors who hears this challenge Jake goes on to write a book called The Art of Neighboring, Building Genuine Relationships Right Outside Your Door. And in the book, he tells the story of what happened to these church leaders as they began to take this challenge to heart. And what happened when they went back to their church homes and began to tell their congregations about it and the impact that it began to make in the neighborhoods that they lived in. He says this in his book. I'm going to read you a quote. He says, you know it's easy to become numb to the great commandment if we aren't care- careful we can take the most important teachings of Jesus and just turn them into a catchy saying that we don't even live out. And in doing so, we become immune to his impact in our lives and to the lives of others. We miss out on the life that Jesus came to give us. The story that Jesus tells the Good Samaritan, um, if you've heard, the, I don't get us to raise our hand in church very often, but how many of us heard the Good Samaritan story before this morning at some point? Yeah, that's like most of us. Okay. And it's often, when we hear a story that we've heard before, we're like, uh, yeah, I heard that. <laughs> I heard that. Oh, man, I wish he would do something. If he would only study from Second Chronicles. I haven't read that on my own. Let's read, let's read something I haven't read before. The reason these stories rise to the top is because of the depth of their truth. Let's not write it off. Let's ask ourselves the question, what if we actually obeyed the words of Jesus what if we learn to be a community of great neighbors? This kind of neighboring, uh, it, it starts someplace in the heart. And, and it begins with us asking the question, Who is my neighbor? And it's, it, it comes with a striking reality. To love our neighbor actually should generally be a little bit difficult. Think about that. You're like, wait a minute, I got great neighbors. It's easy to love my great neighbors. Well, people that we already like and we already have relationships and we get along great with, we actually don't call them neighbors. We have another name for that, don't we? They're called our friends. Okay, so neighbor is a different person. Someone we're a little less familiar with. Someone that we have to kind of go out of our way to meet. And often someone who's going to be in a little different setting in life than we are, and it might be uncomfortable. And so... The neighboring thing starts in the heart and it starts with a shift in priorities, okay? And so, where most of us begin is the natural place to begin. And we start like this we start like the priests and Levites with our eyes down. And we have this mindset what's mine is mine. I worked hard for it. I'm not going to give it up. That's pretty much our general mentality. And some people are more friendly than others. But that's generally what we do. I mean, how often do you just pull into the driveway, close the garage door, go into your house, lock yourself into your little cave, watch all the Netflix shows, talk to the people that you already know? And How often do we drive by somebody on the side of the road who's broken down and we're just like, man, I hope somebody calls 911. You know, it's like we just, eyes down, what's mine is mine. I'm not trying to throw a wrench in my day. Neighboring the way Jesus wants us to neighbor It's a shift in priorities, and check out what it becomes, and it hurts, okay? We say, what's mine is yours if you need it. And I can get you some more if you need some more. That is not not capitalism. It's not the American dream. It's not what we're sold on TV and the Internet. But it's what Jesus says has to happen if we're going to change the world with his love. Loving your neighbor isn't easy. In fact, Jesus includes a group of people into our neighbor group that we would not include. I want to read another passage. This is from Matthew, chapter 5. Matthew is also another one of the teachings, uh, the biographies of Jesus, the gospel. Matthew five forty three. Jesus says, Well, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This was a popular phrase apparently at the time. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Not even, are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? The type of love that Jesus is talking about here is an advanced level love. Loving our enemies, the people that hurt you, the people that you don't like, did you ever grow up saying, Well, I don't hate people, I just strongly dislike them? You know that phrase? Oh, get over ourselves. That's just words. Like, who are the people that you don't want to really love, that you won't want to go above and beyond? Jesus says, Those are the people we should pray for and that we should love. He puts, He said, Your enemies are your neighbors. So Jesus raises the bar super high. Uh, this past week, I was really upset when I read some news about some things that happened in, in Wilmington. Um, there was a group of people, maybe one person, I don't know. They went around with some spray paint and they spray painted some hateful, racist graffiti on several things around town. Uh, anti-black, anti-Semitic statements and phrases. Ah, that stuff happens all the time, but that doesn't make it okay. And, and one thing that kind of really made me upset was the way I found out about it was uh, my friend Ethan Welch is the pastor at the Bridge Church, right? Just down the road on Market Street. And they sprayed the Bridge Church's building with some of these phrases. Now, if you know anything about the Bridge Church, there's one thing I know about them. They're a church family that is all about racial reconciliation. They make that like, we say we're church for people who don't like church. Like that's a thing that we hope people know about us. The thing that they hope that people know about them is that their church is all about racial reconciliation. They have held, hosted racial re- reconciliation rallies at their church building. They, they do their best to reach out to, uh, to different communities of different kind of uh, you know, race backgrounds, if that's an okay thing to say, and say, look, let's get together. Let's do things together. Let's, let's bridge this gap. So for someone to go to that church and paint those things on that wall, oh, it makes me mad. Like, it makes me, I, I think I would physically fight somebody. Like, I'm not even just trying to be funny. Like, that's just like, What? This is what Jesus says is the solution to my emotions. Love them. I love what Ethan posted on Facebook this week. He posted pictures that I'm not going to share on our screens. He told the story, and at the very end, he said, whoever you are, we love you. He's talking to the people who did the, the, the graffiti. We love you, and you are welcome at the Bridge Church. Here you'll find community of love and forgiveness unlike anything you've ever experienced Three words at the end. We forgive you. I'm proud of Ethan. I'm proud of the Bridge Church. I'm not so proud of some of the people who left comments after that, like those people still got my blood pressure high. But, jeez, people are, what's wrong with us? You know, and don't think that any of us are like immune to this. We harbor some level of hate often for a group of people that are different than us. And Jesus says, that's gotta go. And we've got to follow the lead of of people like Ethan and people like the Good Samaritan who said, I don't care what your background is, I love you. And I want to come in and help you. Loving people is hard. Loving those who hurt us is harder. But listen to this, light shines the brightest in dark places. And that's what Jesus brings. Essentially, Jesus is saying, your enemy even should be your neighbor. Jay Pathak is the guy who wrote that book. He's, he calls this kind of love graduate level love. He says, this is next level stuff, but we need to work towards it. And his suggestion is that to prepare our hearts for that kind of love, we need to begin looking right outside our own doors on the street that we live in. Uh, what if we intentionally began to put the practices of loving our neighbor into action, on the street that we live in. The people whose address is one or two numbers different than ours. You know, it's so easy to keep our eyes down. And, and, and you pull into the driveway, and you close the door behind you and, you, and you lock down on Netflix or your routine, and that's easy, and it's therapeutic, and I know you work super hard, and what's yours is yours, right? It's so easy. But to love the way that Jesus loves is to lift our eyes up and proactively look for the need and ask ourselves, do I have what it takes to fill the need? A lot of us might think, well, shoot, I'm a good neighbor. I'm a real good neighbor. Here's the challenge, okay? This is, this is a little bit of toe-stepping toe time. I did it to myself a couple weeks ago when I first started thinking about it. Uh, you can physically do this. Maybe pull out your phone if you've got a little drawing app, or if there's a piece of paper you want to turn around and draw on the back of it, or just do it in your mind. Draw a little tic-tac-toe symbol. little, I think these days we call it hashtag. We used to call it pound because we use buttons on phones, but you know what I'm talking about A little tic-tac-toe game. Okay, in the middle of that tic-tac-toe symbol, you can imagine this in your head. That's your house. Okay, so in that little spot, write your name and write the name of everyone that lives in your house. Okay, so you, you, for me, it'd be Chris, Lindsay, Silas, Savannah, and five chickens, but they don't count. You write your name in the middle of the tic-tac-toe uh, thing. Okay, now. The other uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight squares represent the people that live closest to you, who, shall, who share like property lines with you, or maybe you live in an apartment. Maybe they share walls with you, upstairs, downstairs, whatever. If you live upstairs, you might need to draw like a Rubik's cube, okay? So, if you live in an apartment, um, but just start with just start with the nine spots, okay? Now here's what you do: you've written one, you filled in one, okay? There's eight more to fill in. Start filling in the first names of the people who live in the corresponding spots next to you. Can you do it? It's just a question. Maybe you can get one, maybe two. If you can get three, four. I'm gonna go ahead and let you know you're above average. Okay, that's the first step. Second step, second step. Of the names that you've written there, can you list one relevant detail about that person? Where'd they go to college? What's their hometown? Do they have a favorite, you know, football team? Any, any relevant detail, you could have you could have gleaned it by walking by and seeing the garage door open and there's like a Carolina Panthers flag in there. You're like, oh yeah, they might, like the Panthers. Like whatever, anything. We start to stretch here. Okay, step three, there's only three steps. Now, under, under any other names that you have, especially ones that you have uh, a relevant detail, write down something about those people an in-depth fact that you've learned about that person, something about their career, uh, dreams, maybe something that is deeply important to them, something that they're passionate about, something that matters, not just a relevant fact, but like an in-depth detail. Can you do it? Can you do it? So when you look at this list, it's a moment where we really begin to step on our toes a little bit. I can name a couple of people's names. I kind of know, know some things that they're into. Beyond that, I'm not so sure that I know that much else odds are good that most of us can't get very far. And here's the truth. When Jesus was talking about love your neighbor, I, I believe this, okay? So I want you to know, if you're looking for a cop-out, this is it. So listen close. You're like, whew, this is gonna be too hard. I don't believe for one second that when Jesus said love your neighbor, I actually don't think he was saying you should love the people who live in the address next to you. Like that's the goal of the statement. I think he was talking about something broader. Like you should love people. And so we might say, well, I don't think love your neighbor means love you know Tommy who lives next door to me. Uh, It means love everybody. Okay, that's fine. Let's say love your neighbor means love everybody. And so I'm off the hook because I don't love the people. I don't like spend time getting to know the people near me, but I love some other people. Okay, here's another fact though. If we aim at everything, it is real easy for us to hit nothing. So the challenge is who specifically in our life do we have our eyes up looking for the need so that we can shine the light of God into their life? Here's the goal that with your neighbors, you can transition from, hey man, to, hey Michael, to, hey Michael, you mind coming over, giving me a hand to carry this into the garage, to, hey Mike, man, I noticed that your son moved off, did you go to college? How are you doing with that? Hopefully to a point where you're like, Michael, is there something I can be praying for you about? You see how that transition works? It is hard to love people whose names we don't know. It's hard to love people whose needs we don't know. There's a lot we can talk about with this, and some of them are are challenges. Uh, We're going to talk in the next two weeks about the challenge of, man, I don't have the time for that. Also the challenge of, that scares the mess out of me. Those are the time factor and the fear factor. But before we can get into solving some of those issues, we got to answer the question. Are we willing to lean into the obedience factor? Jesus says, love your neighbor. Begin somewhere. And imagine the difference that it would make on your street, in your block, your neighborhood, if the love of Jesus became the cornerstone of your community watch. It is a whole lot harder for someone to get angry about the dog doing their business in the yard of a person that they also know the name of and have a relationship with. In fact, it's also easier to get them to clean that up. When we live life the way that Jesus teaches us to live it, our relationships grow beyond anything we could do on our own. Let's keep our eyes up. Let's be looking for the needs. Walk over. Deliberately introduce yourself to someone this week. Maybe pull out that tic-tac-toe sign with the people you live in and ask yourself, like, do we know all eight of our neighbors? We should do that. In fact, it should kind of freak you out a little bit if you don't. Like, they live really close to your house. (laughs) Let's take the time to get to know the people who live next to us with the goal of loving them the way that Jesus would have us love them. But you know what's more likely than us going over and, like, being nervous and scared and and they slam the door in our face and threaten to beat us with a stick? That might happen, just so you know. I have experience. What's more likely is that they'll come to the door as a child of God who needs to be loved with the love of Jesus. Let me pray for us this morning.